now today. We finish up. Last week, we just sent, spent some time on one half of the equation in walking by the Spirit. If last week was your first week joining us ever, be it in person or either online, please let me apologize to you. Because the sermon was so centered on one half of the equation. We said this up, on, up front on it. It's going to be centered in on what it is that we should fight against. And so it had a tendency just to be heavy. It is, here is the flesh, and the flesh is gnarly. And so we said this. We said we all have natural but sinful urges. Now, one thing to know is this. Not all of the urges that we ever have in life, not all of the desires that we ever have in life are sinful. Have you been keeping up with what's been going on with DeMar Hamlin? Football player with the Buffalo Bills. Some of you may or may not be familiar with that story, but it's a gentleman that was 24 years old. He was on the football field. He collapsed from a heart attack while play was going on. The game was suspended. They, both teams were obviously emotional in the process. Uh, they had to perform CPR right there on the field. And then he went to the hospital, and there was a few days in which it did not look good. We just didn't know. Now, fortunately, God chose to use medicine, et cetera, to intervene in time and space. And so he has had a, a, a turnaround and uh, looks as though his outlook looks very good uh, for the future. But this is what captured me. And the story I was involved in, but this is what captured me. Do you know that he had had a, a GoFundMe page that he had set up in order to raise money for children in the Buffalo area? That was the desire. He had a stated goal of raising $2,500 through this GoFundMe page so that children in the community could be blessed. Now, this is where social media is at its best. For some of you, you're wondering, does social media have a good side? Yes, it does, and this is where it's at its best. Word got out on social media that he had a GoFundMe page and was trying to raise some money for some children in the Buffalo area so that they could have some toys. Do you know what that total is now? It's around $9 million. Absolutely. I'm thinking about starting a GoFundMe page. There's this pastor with six kids, lots of needs. This is where things are at its best. Now, not all desires that we have are sinful in nature. Not all of them are evil in nature. What we were trying to get across last week is that we all, all of us, every single person who has ever lived with the exception of one human being has urges that are sinful. And they are intense. And so what are we called to do? On the one hand, we're called to resist them. We spent all time last week talking about that. I'm not going to go over it again. Because I think the weight of the Scripture spends the time on this area right here. And this is what the Scriptures call us to do. Is to walk by the Spirit. To pursue the other desires. Resist the sinful desires that we have. And then pursue the righteous desires that we have. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you are a follower of Jesus, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you are filled with desires inside of you to be used, to love, to serve, to help. 
I know without question, if you follow Jesus, if you're connected in any way to his heart, you can't help something inside of you. It's called the Holy Spirit. It's going to create these desires, these thirsts inside of you to do things and purely just love for God and love for others. What does walking by the Spirit mean? It means that you recognize that these desires are going on, but you pursue these over here. Can I ask you this? How would you rather spend your life? Would you rather spend your life saying, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I got to fight this. I got to fight this. I can't do that. I don't want to do that. Don't, 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 no, no, no. Or would you rather say, yes, pursue, go, try, risk, Where do you want to spend your mind and your heart? Where do you want to spend all your energy? Focusing on what not to do? Please get a glance of that. Don't ignore this, but set your gaze over here. Let me ask you this question. I wonder what Tallahassee would look like if the church, big C, Wildwood is one, little c, if the church in Tallahassee said, we are going to actively pursue just walking in the Spirit. And we're going to treat our neighbors and our coworkers. We're going to follow through on the desires that God has put within us. I wonder what Tallahassee would look like. Followers of Jesus have supernatural and fruitful longings. We all have natural but sinful urges, Followers of Jesus have supernatural and fruitful longing, longings. Now, the scriptures have been given to us not primarily as an instruction manual, although there's plenty of instructions for us. There's plenty of help that's given to us. There's plenty of guidance that's given to us in terms of what to do. The scriptures have been given to us primarily so that we might see who God is and how it is that he interacts with us. It is not primarily given to us so that we might know what to do and what not to do in any particular moment. It's given to us so that we might see how it is that relate to him. It's to see that in God's presence there is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures evermore. So set your gaze on the person of Jesus and glance at your sin. Repent regularly. Because you'll need to. But abide with Jesus. If we spend our effort, time, energies over here on this side of the equation, hear me, this will take care of itself because this will become more and more and more distasteful to us and this will become more and more and more attractive to us. If you have your Bibles open to Galatians chapter 5, we'll read the exact same passage that we read last week in honor of God's Word. If you are capable and able, would you stand as I read from Galatians chapter 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You may be seated. Now, once again, why did Paul write to the Galatians? He was writing to the Galatians because they had gotten this problem. They had gotten this problem. They had started out their pilgrimage with God based on the grace of God. It was God's grace that had brought them into relationship. They understood that. So to begin their relationship with, that's how they began walking. And then as time went on, as they in their own minds thought they were maturing, growing, getting more, uh, um, uh, whatever the word might be, getting better somehow. They thought that they had more to do and they felt they had a higher learning and higher understanding of the role of the law. And the law was now, it was necessary to keep the law in order to maintain this relationship and foster this relationship with God. They were even going so far as to say this, that if you did not keep the law to the letter of it, then it was evidence that you were not saved. So Paul is writing saying, "Woo, time out. Let me tell you about the law. It has a great purpose. It's vital. It's necessary. It's essential. The ceremonial law has been fulfilled by Christ. The sacrificial system is done with. It's gone away. The the one-time sacrifice from Christ was all that was needed. There is the moral law that remains intact. But let me tell you the role that the law has today. The law takes a back seat to this thing called the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Now, I use that word intentionally, this thing called the Holy Spirit, because most of us consider the Holy Spirit a thing rather than a person in whom we have a relationship with. It is the third person of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And what does the Spirit do? The Spirit puts inside of us All of these longings and yearnings and desires, the Spirit lets us know, hey, this really is not going to be the best thing for you in the long run. Resist this. Fight against this. But this over here, this is what you were designed for. This is what you're made for. This right here is where joy is found. So the Spirit is the one who brings all these things to life, makes it even more attractive to us. The law was given so that we might know that we're incapable of, of doing all that is required to be made right with God. That's the main purpose. Not the only purpose. The main purpose was doing this. There's no way you and I, no, any of us can do enough to be made right with God. That's the role of the law. Jesus comes along. Jesus fulfills the law. He goes to a cross. He pays the price of the law. He sends his spirit to us now after his resurrection. And now the spirit does something that the law could never do. The law could tell us that if we stay over here, we're wrong. 
The law could never give us this deep-seated yearning to do this. That's the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit shows up in the Old Testament in some pretty incredible and powerful ways. Wayne Grudem in his uh, Systematic Theology book just lists this, so I'm taking this straight from him, but I want to just show you a couple of ways in which the Holy Spirit was used in the Old Testament. Joshua was empowered for leadership according to Numbers 27. The judges were empowered to deliver, to deliver Israel all throughout the book of Judges. Othniel, Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson all had the Holy Spirit come upon them in power so that they might deliver the people from oppressive nations on the outside. The first king of Israel, Saul, was empowered in order to call the army of Israel to battle. He was, call, he was empowered by God, by the Holy Spirit, to call the people Let's go, in essence, is what he was saying in 1 Samuel. David was empowered to be the godly king and to lead Israel. Bezalel was empowered for artistic skill in the construction of the tabernacle, as well as the ability to teach others to do the same. Isn't that great? Holy Spirit empowers someone with artistic skill to create things for God and to, to teach others to be able to do the same things. The people of God were empowered to overcome fear, according to Haggai, and then too many to list, but various prophets were empowered by God to prophesy, to say, thus saith the Lord. This is not all of the examples of people being empowered in the, Holy, uh, in, in the Old Testament. This is just a few examples. I want you to see this. What does it mean to be empowered by the Holy Spirit? It's not some weird, freaky thing. Now, we, we know what it, what it sounds like or what we sort of picture in our heads as to what somebody demon-possessed looks like. We've seen enough video. We've, we've read stories. Um, it, we've seen The Chosen. If you haven't seen The Chosen yet, you need to watch The Chosen because if you haven't, you really need to repent. It's a phenomenal show. It's incredible. You'll never see Jesus the same way, so, so watch it. We have a, an idea as to what it looks like to be uh, uh, demon-possessed, and then we think, well, the opposite must be true to be spirit-possessed, that you're sort of out of control. You know, you, you just, there's just you, nothing you can do. This overwhelming joy consumes you. You don't even know what you're saying. You're out of your mind. God's just using you. No, it's just not how it is pictured in the Scriptures. In the Scriptures, it's pictured as you are empowered, listen, to do that which you ought to do and deep down inside really long to do. Let me say that again. Empowered by the Spirit gives us the power to do that which we know we ought to do and deep down inside really long to do. So how many times have you as a spouse said, I really wish I was empowered with the Holy Spirit in this moment right now? Because I really do want to love. And yet I'm fighting this, but I don't want to do this, but this is what I'm, I'm, I'm going towards. This is natural for me. This is, this is normal. Oh, God, help. How many times you do that with your kids? How many times you do that with a coach? How many times you do that with neighbors, with coworkers? I know you have never once ever thought it about your boss. Empowered by the Spirit is not some mysterious, mystical, you are totally out of control. Actually, it's just the opposite. God gives you incredible amounts of his control. After the 15 specific misdeeds that he gives us 
earlier, these one-word illustrations of the works of the flesh. Paul is now going to move into a list of nine things. I think we can divide it into three categories. And I won't spend as much time on these as I did last week on those deeds of the flesh because I think this will be a little bit more self-explanatory. But, but three categories of, uh, of three that he's going to give to us. In verses 22 to 23, he tells us to this. Know this about the Spirit. Fruit is the result. Fruit is the result of a life lived in the Spirit. Look at Galatians chapter 6, just in verse 9, just a few uh, uh, page, one page over maybe for you in uh, your scriptures. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Now, Paul is going to intentionally use words that I am convinced go all the way back to Jesus's words when he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. I am the life source you are the branches that receive this life. And then what do you do on the branch? You bear the fruit of being attached to the vine. I'm convinced this is what Paul is doing in this section right here. If we don't give up, we'll reap a harvest. We're going to bear fruit. Christians will bear fruit. You don't have to try to manufacture it. You don't have to drum it up. You don't have to sit and think all day long, how am I going to get fruit? How am I going to get fruit? How am I going to get fruit? The Holy Spirit is going to produce it. He produces it when you pursue the, the desires that God has placed within you. Now, what are those fruits of the Spirit? Nine total characteristics divided into three categories. I'll divide them in three directions. The first one is upward in nature. Love, joy, and peace Upward in nature. Love, one of the most frequently used words of Paul in all of his writings. He writes an entire chapter on it in 1 Corinthians 13. It's the word agape. It is the word, the highest form of love that would be, uh, be known. This is the kind of love that God gives to us. It's the kind of love he has for us. And it's the kind of love that he gives to us for himself. What's the greatest commandment? Love God. And love people. Now, this is the first of them. And in many ways, this is the umbrella fruit. Everything else is going to come up underneath the, the big category of love. The second one he mentions is joy. Paul repeatedly is going to stress joy throughout his writings in all of the New Testament. But just a couple of things <clears throat> in there. He encourages us to, to rejoice um, in the Lord. And then Romans 14, 17, he tells us that there is peace and there is joy in the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I have a drink over here. This is not going to go away. <clears throat> Thank you. Sorry about that. <clears throat> this is that special tea. Thank you. So much for getting that for me. There you go. Joy. When I say the word joy, what comes to your mind? You ever seen a girl named Joy? Isn't it great when she reflects that, her namesake? Now, now joy is not this overbearing, bouncing around all the time, happy. There's nothing ever wrong in life. That's not joy. Joy is this deep, seated confidence 
that God is ultimately in control. And regardless of what the circumstances are out in front of us, joy is the ability to have this deep-seated confidence that God himself is going to work out all things for good. So therefore, what can I do? I can take joy in life. Peace is the next one that is upward in nature. We've said this many times before, but we have two uh, peace uh, in two ways uh, that we have Peace with God, meaning that there is no longer any strife between us. When we come to faith in Christ, God removes all of the wrath away from us. But we will never have the peace of God until we first have peace with God. And the peace of God is something that is profound. And it's a, it's a kissing cousin of joy. That the peace is this deep-seated ability to say, it's okay. It, there's a hymn that captures it well. It is well with my soul. It doesn't mean I have to like all of the circumstances. It doesn't mean that I'm excited about all the circumstances. It doesn't mean I'm thankful for all of the circumstances. It means that even in the midst of whatever is going on, there's this deep-seated peace. I don't know how someone can have joy and peace true joy and true peace without being rightly related to God. I don't know. So there's love, there's joy, and there is peace. Then there's an outward direction that he mentions to us. Patience, kindness, and goodness. Patience is that which is, I can take um, and I cannot be easily offended. Now, wouldn't you love that in our day and age today? Wouldn't you love it if we just weren't so easily offended? I'm not saying that there's never a time to be offended. Of course there is. I just don't think that it's necessary to be offended if you don't like my shoes. I don't think that every time somebody opens their mouth, somebody should be offended. There's going to be a lot of really awful comments that are given in this life. There's going to be a lot of statements that are made that are going to be hurtful. It's okay. Patience is choosing to take on an attitude that says, it's all right. I'm not going to respond in kind. It's not that I don't let anything get to me. It's not that I have this heart that becomes uh, uh, hardened. It's just, it's not being easily offended. This is patience. Patience is learned in parenting. Patience is learned in many aspects um, of life, it's just sticking with it, waiting, knowing that something is going to change here in the future. Kindness, sort of like patience, kindness is a, a characteristic of God. It's an, and certainly intended to be reproduced by the Spirit. But kindness is an attitude towards others um, that is, generally speaking, forgiving in nature. It is speaking to others in a way that is not harsh and or cruel. It is a general disposition that is seeking the good of someone else. Hear this in some small ways. Goodness. This word is actually only found four times in the entire New Testament. And Paul is the only one who uses this specific idea. But it conveys the idea of general benevolence and generosity in the specific direction of someone else. 
You've heard that statement, uh, this was just done out of the goodness of your heart. Goodness um, towards others, patient towards others, kind towards others, and good towards others. The final three that he mentions are more inward in nature, meaning they're having to do more with how we interact even with ourselves, the things that, that motivate us, etc. The first one is faithfulness. There is the faithfulness to the Christian message itself in the Scriptures. There's the faithfulness to the person of God um, uh, in, the, in the New Testament. And there's also the faithfulness to the church itself. All of these will be included in uh, faithfulness. Meaning that I continue moving forward regardless of what the obstacles may be. Gentleness is probably my favorite word in all of the New Testament. It's the word that Jesus uses to describe himself in Matthew chapter 11. It's the only time that Jesus gives us a self-description. But the root word here is the Greek word prouts. And it conveys this idea of strength, but it is under control. The same word is used that Paul uses towards uh, wives. Uh, when he says wives are to have a gentle and quiet spirit. Strength, but under control. In classical Greek literature, one of the most helpful pictures is given in, in how this thing plays out. It is used of a wild stallion, a horse that has all of its strength, etc., but it has been broken in. And so now even the smallest of children can be placed on top of that horse and be trusted not to be bucked off. It is strength, but it is under control. Would this not perfectly capture what goes on in the life of a Christian? the ability to see life as it's happening, to have the strength of God that is there, and then now to, to be moving forward always under control. Not out of control, under control. Self-control really is the cousin of this word too. It has the mastery specifically though over one's passions and desires. That this is the one that is able to say it is better to go in this direction than it is in this direction. And so it is the intentional pursuit of this direction. Now, believe this. Against such things, there is no law. He is saying in many ways the same thing that he said in the previous week. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Is there any law that you're aware of that is against those things? Is there any government on planet earth that would arrest you for that? Is there any person anywhere that you're aware of that would say, that is a horrible way to live? What a miserable group of people that would be, those that are filled and, 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 and these characteristics of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. I do not want to be a part of that group right there. There's no law against this. And if the people of God live this, can you imagine the influence? This is where I close. This is the best part. In verse 24, it says to understand this. Understand that the spirit is more powerful than the flesh. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he who is in me is greater than he that is in the world? Do you believe that in any given moment you have the power not only to say no to this right here, but to say yes to this right here? You have been given 
power by God from the Holy Spirit who brings the power of Jesus to you the same way that Jesus lived, he now brings to you. The, the power of the Spirit is far more powerful than the power of the flesh. So now the question is, then what excuse do we have when we sin? Why do we go this direction? Because we believe at this particular moment, going this direction is going to produce something better for me than going this particular direction. We think that somehow or another going here is not going to be as gratifying as going over here. And you fill in the sin of your choice. The Holy Spirit is more powerful. So my friends, let's go on the love um, offensive. When you get a chance later on today, go read Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 11 and look at this battle that takes place um, in there. He closes out by saying in verses 25 and 26, keep walking by the Spirit. And I've got some very practical things to give us here at the end. Keep walking by the Spirit. The word if there it actually should be translated since, since it is rather that we live by the Spirit, then let us walk by the Spirit or keep in step with the Spirit. Let us move by Him. Now, four time-tested ways <clears throat> that we can embrace the longings that come from the Holy Spirit. Number one, pray for a heart of obedience to God. Pray that God would give you a heart that longs to obey him. One of the greatest joys of my life has happened in the last eight days. I've got one son that I've been praying for for quite some time. I've prayed for all my children since they were very, very young, but I've got one son in particular that's talking to me and saying, Dad, I just want to talk to you about what's going on in life. And he's sharing some things with me about what's going on in life. Now, we do our best to keep an open dialogue with all of our kids, but at various times, some kids want to be open and some kids don't want to be open at all. And so sometimes it's easy to sit and listen, and sometimes it's hard to sit and have no one speak on the other end about what's going on inside of them. You know what I'm talking about. But this son has come to me and said, I just, I just want to talk. And he's telling me about what's going on inside of him. And he's describing all of the ways in which he is longing to follow Christ. And the words came out of his mouth and he said, Dad, I just want to do whatever God wants me to do with my life. And I'm over there. <laughs> of course, I didn't do that in front of him. Pray for a heart that longs for obedience. Number two, feast on the word of God. Don't just read the Bible in order to get through some Bible reading plan. It's good to have a Bible reading plan. I would encourage it, but, but feast on the word of God. Meditate on it. Memorize it so that you can meditate on it. Pray it back to God. Ask that God would burn it deep within your heart. Feast on his word. Make this something that you, you run to consistently. I want to challenge you. Take one night this week, just one. 
Okay, just take one night this week and, and, and say no to Netflix, nothing wrong with Netflix. Say no to Prime, nothing wrong with Prime. Say no to whatever else it may be. Nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves, okay? Say no to that so that you can feast for just one night on God's word. Open it up, read it, memorize it, do everything you can. Set it before you. And you tell me if this right here is not more satisfying than this right here. Pray for a heart that longs to obey. Feast on God's word because God's word is going to guide you and lead you. Secondly, recognize the powerful obedience is available to you at any particular moment. Recognize the power for obedience is available to you at any given moment. I've shared this before, but years ago, I was working with Delta Airlines, and I worked with two, summer, two summers of Delta, summer 91 and summer 94. And I was just a bin monkey. I would go in, and, and I, I would put together or, or put bags up on planes while other guys went on vacation. And on this particular uh, day, um, while I was up there, I, I had been growing in my faith um, with, with God. Um, but there had been this little bit of a lull in, in my walk. Some of you may have experienced that. So it didn't seem like the word was jumping off the page. Like it didn't seem like my prayers maybe weren't, weren't getting directly to God as much. I don't know. Just things were just a tad bit off. And I was cleaning this plane, last plane that, that, that was there at night. We got to get it ready for the plane. That'll, that plane will leave um, in the morning. And I'm making my way through and you have to go through the little uh, things, pockets thing that, you know, you got to clear out stuff that's in there. And there was this particular adult magazine that I pulled out. And there was nobody around that could see me. And what went on in my mind and my heart was a battle. And I knew immediately it is not going to produce what I want it to produce if I choose to pursue this. But I wish that I could have convinced my flesh that I was going for the pastorate. I wish I could convince my flesh that, that, that there was this pull was strong and there was this battle. And so I kept it. Rather than putting it in the trash, I put it in my, in my back. Sometimes I'll put an iPad or stuff in my back pants, not my pocket, but put it back there. And I just kept cleaning the plane, kept cleaning the plane until I got to the very end. Now I got a choice to make. The trash is about to go away. And I said, okay, Lord, I don't want to do this, but I want to want to do this. And so I'm going to expect that you will give me the power to do this. And so I reached back behind me, pulled it, put it into the trash can, tied it up, and let the guy take the trash off. Now, you know what happened at that point? Joy. Peace. Now, I wish I could tell you that I have succeeded at every turn with every sin since then. But I've got a whole lot more stories about how I have failed than how it is that I have succeeded. But recognize that the power is available to you at any given moment. You are, you are never too far down the road. Finally, present your body to God as living sacrifices while taking the first step of obedience. Take the first step. <laughs> you got an issue with your spouse? 
Has she wronged you? Is she clearly in the wrong? Take the first loving step, dude. The power of God is with you. He can enable you. You can, by faith, step out, and you have no guarantee how it is that she's going to respond in the process. You feel as though you, you've got that opportunity. You've got the computer in front of you, and, and you know that this is a test that you can take, and, and there's, there's no proxy that's with you, um, and, and you can click open this other window, and you can get all of the answers to all of the test, right? Take the first step by shutting the window that has the answers. Whatever it may be that's in front of you, take the first step and then expect God, listen, to change the desires of your heart and for doing the right thing, pursuing that this is going to become more and more and more attractive. But do not expect that God is going to magically fill you with power if you're not willing to take a step. Wow, would, can you imagine what would happen in Tallahassee if Wildwood Church would take a glance at these things that we shouldn't be doing, that we would recognize that, yes, we would fight it, but can you imagine what happened if we pursued with every fiber of our being the person of God, and then met with God over and over and over and over again, and spent so much time abiding in the vine that all of us began to look and sound and smell just like Jesus. That we would go on the love offensive and we would seek the good of all in Tallahassee. Can you imagine what would happen in this city? I'll tell you what I think would happen. I think something similar would happen here that happened in the book of Acts. As the world looked around and saw two men that were untrained, ordinary men, but they knew they had been with Jesus. And so their lives were radically different. My friend, spend time with Jesus and walk by the Spirit.